There's no music if you have no body to play it with, so take care of your body first. You getting into the gym and you lifting weights and working on muscles, is this, it's physical therapy for the benefit of your playing. The truth is nothing works like just taking care of the simple stuff. Diet, exercise and sleep. Take care of that and you'll be fine. Join us as two musicians and fitness coaches discuss strength, wellness and fitness in relation to musicians, artists and performance. Welcome back to the Tuned and Strong podcast. This lovely lady over here is Angela McHouston of Music Strong. And this is Dr. Jen Cabas-May of Tuned and Toned Performance. And today, as you can see, we are joined by a very special guest, Bob Bender. Bob, how are you doing? Welcome. This is actually very strange for me because usually I'm on the other end of the microphone, even though I'm on this <laughs> end of the microphone, if that makes sense. Never mind. Let's not go there. We are in Bob's studio here in Nashville, if you can see this. The Business Side of Music is his podcast, and so since he's here, we're actually recording in his studio with his fancy stuff, and we beamed Jen in. <laughs> so I feel very that. left out. <laughs> no, oh no, you're, you're yeah, here, you you're just not as blue. And, everything, and I'm like in my little corner bookcase nook. <laughs> this, this is very much a nook in here. So, so yeah, so Bob, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and what you do or what you've done Gosh, before darn. you got to the podcast? Do we really have that much time and do you we want me to go down that rabbit hole? All the time hole? in the world. <laughs> <laughs> a California boy, but I've been in Nashville since the late 90s. Uh, I was always been in the music business ever since I was a teenager. Had rock and roll bands and then Got the opportunity to go on the road first as stage manager and guitar tech and all that good stuff. And that led to me being a road manager for several bands. Uh, a few of those you might recognize. Uh, some of the older groups, of course, Edgar Winter, Rick Derringer, Billy Preston, uh, Gene Pitney. And then there was a group called New Kids on the Block that I toured with. No way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ring Ringo Starr's first All-Star Tour in 1989. Oh, fun. I did that first All-Star Tour. And then about 1997, I said, OK, I'm tired. I want to get off the road. This is all I'm doing about nine, ten months out of the year. And I went to work for a record label. And they put me in radio promotions. And that lasted for all of about eight weeks. And it wasn't that I lost a job. It's they wanted to have me do something else. And that was putting me back on the road. So for the next two years, I was manager of artist development for such acts as Leon Rhymes and Tim McGraw and Jody Messina. Went on to be general manager for a couple different record labels, Michael Martin Murphy's label for a while, and uh, a, a, a Christian infomercial label, of all things. We, we produced artists and then sold infomercials on television. <laughs> and different. Uh, anyway, produced some shows, did that for a while. And then in uh, 2017, I got the opportunity dear friend of mine, Tom Sabella, asked, asked me if I'd be interested in producing a podcast called The Business Side of Music. And I said, absolutely, what's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I've been ever since, doing this. So I'd say it's gone well then. I'm uh, living the dream. <laughs> Figured it out. Every, every day is an adventure. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, it's, 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 been, it's been an exciting time. And of course, 
I've seen, I've seen the music business transition so much. You know, when I started, I, I think my first tour, in fact, major tour was 1983. I was out with Night Ranger. And, uh, you know, back then you carried a notepad and a roll of quarters because there weren't cell phones. There weren't laptops. We didn't have email back in those days. Mm-hmm. We did have electricity and running water, but in uh, <laughs> tour buses. But, you know, it wasn't really until about the mid-90s that, that technology caught up with the road. We finally started having software to help us advance our dates and track the accounting, you know, on the tour and, and cell phones. Although, you know, I, I, remember, I remember one business manager called me one day and he said, you really need to stop letting the band use your cell phone because, you know, you're on the road for six, eight, nine months. And, and what do you do? You're calling your wives or your girlfriends or in some cases both. And uh, <laughs> I didn't say that. And, uh, and I remember the business manager called me one day and he said, yeah, your cell phone bill was $4,000 last month. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, and it's not that way anymore. But it, that just kind of tells you how the the technology has changed and how things have transitioned and oh for the young ones that you used to generally do you remember this like you had to wait till nights and weekends to be able to call for free right. otherwise you had to buy a certain number of minutes and you're always watching yep. to see how many minutes yep. you, and had. you had roaming charges the roaming and, charges oh, yeah. yeah that is no longer a thing we had, we had a thing back then called long distance right right yeah kids today they're spoiled they have no idea oh sounds so old but you know i i had a good time i you know and i and i've said this so many years i spent on the road in tour buses and and flying in planes and my best sleep literally every night and i know you guys talk about health and fitness and i gotta tell you my most comfortable sleep at night was in a bunk on a tour bus and when I would come home off the road, I would literally have to have the TV on or a white noise machine and a fan blowing just to kind of replicate that, you know, if I could have got the bed to kind of, you know, move Rock back and bit. forth a little bit. Yeah, but it's, it's been fun. I've had a good time. I've heard that, actually, the whole tour bus thing. Or, or I had a client yesterday tell me, like, the best sleep she ever got was on the Via Rail on uh, Canada. She works at uh, Peer Music, actually. She's, um, oh, I forget what she does. And I've only asked her a dozen times in a dozen years. But <laughs> <laughs> she works on Music Row. And she was telling me that the Via Rail, they took from Toronto to Vancouver. Yeah. And best night's sleep of her life ever. Oh, I bet. And you just, I mean, it, it's its amazing because you're on this train. It just rocks you to sleep. And then you get up and you just watch the world go by. And then you have, you know, I want to do this so bad, but I gen, jump in at any point. I've got, I, I want to know all the things because we haven't had anybody on the podcast who has done anything like what you've done. We've been so much in the classical world. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard much about this side of it at all. Yeah. So here's some basic questions. Sure. When you were talking about your different job descriptions or the different jobs you've had. For those of us who may, might not know what is a guitar tech or a studio manager or a road manager, what? What are those things? What do they entail? What is that life? Well, okay. it's, it's imagine someone who is spinning a lot of plates constantly. You've got five or six or 10 or 12 plates and you're spinning them all so they don't come crashing to the ground. That's a road manager. That's typically what the road manager does is his role is to keep those, those plates spinning. Mm-hmm. And that may come down to, you know, if you've got 
six or seven or eight members in a band plus the road crew and your job is to get them from point a to point b you know you're in this city one day you're in this next city the other day and then you have to get them on stage on time and you have to go look for them because inevitably one or two will wander off and go somewhere Mm -hmm. Uh, I I had one band who I shall remain nameless, uh, but the one of the members of the band was a little OCD. And he would spend 30 to 45 minutes getting dressed every night before the show. And if it got down to the point where button was a little bit out of a place or, you know, the lapel, he would strip back down and start all over again. And and I, there were some nights it was like five minutes before showtime, and oh, I'm no. like, we got to go now, get on stage. So that's kind of the road. <laughs> that's what, it's glorified babysitting. It's herding kittens, is what it is. Uh, guitar tech, you know, it's it, it's funny because when I got asked to be a guitar tech uh, on the Night Ranger tour in '83, I was the guitar tech for the opening act. I had no idea what a guitar tech what that job entailed in fact every job i ever took on the on in the business i had no idea what it was i just i said yes until i had to say no and a guitar tech was basically you set up the guitars you uh you know you change the strings you make sure they're in tune you know a lot of these rock and roll bands will travel with you know four or five or six different guitars so you're constantly switching out guitars and and uh yeah and the road was a lot of fun, but it was, it was almost 24 mm. seven. And, you know, being a guitar tech, you would, uh, in my case, you drive the truck, you unload all the band gear, you set up all the guitars, you do the show, and then you reverse that order and you drive to the next city and you sleep somewhere in between, you know? And a lot of times in those early days, you'd sleep in the cab of the truck. Elevating to road manager, if you were lucky, you got a tour bus and you got your choice of bunk. You know, for me, it was, you know, there's, um, there's 12 bunks in a, in a typical tour bus. I'd, I would always get the driver's side front and middle because to me, that was always the smoothest <laughs> ride. And, I, and I, I, you know, I told everybody, that's my bunk. Don't even challenge me for it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's kind of like what I said about, you know, what's a podcast. I think when I first started, you know, what's a stage manager? Uh, you know, what's a road manager, what's a guitar tech. And you also have to remember, we didn't have YouTube back then. You didn't have tutorials. You didn't have ways to look things up to figure out what it was. Except a library. Yeah, and then they didn't carry library. books on that, you yeah, know. No. I, I would go find old stagecraft books so at least I knew what upstage and downstage and stage right and stage left was. And that helped. Mm-hmm. You know, at least you could fake it until you made it. Um, but, yeah, it was it's... It was an interesting time, and I gla- I'm so glad I got to live through that era because it was still it was still rock and roll back then. Now it's business, you know. I, I think we've lost I think we've lost that that emotional aspect of it uh, because it's so technically driven now, and it's so uh, budgets are so tight, you know, mm-hmm. you down to the penny. Uh, when I worked at the record label. We had no budgets. You know, when we had to go out and promote a project or promote an artist, it was just, here's your corporate American Express card and make it happen. Oh, that sounds fun. Oh, it was. Spending OPM. It, it, de- it definitely was. <laughs> Other people's as, money. <laughs> as, long, as, long, as long as your expense report got, you know, approved at the end of the month, 
Uh, and those days are gone too. You know, it, yeah. it, the, the record business is another thing has changed dramatically. When, when I was at the one label, you know, I started out in radio promotions, and then I became manager of artist development. Or manager of artist development is kind of like an A and R guy. Your job is to just really help develop the artist, help them, you know, understand how, what it takes to get on stage and interact with the audience, and and play nice with the the fan club and the radio stations and the promoters and things like that. And a lot of that was just learning baptism by fire for me. And I, and I think it was for a lot, of, uh, a lot of us in the business. And those days are gone. I mean, mm. the record labels don't have, they barely have A&R people anymore. You know, now they, they discover acts by looking to see how many followers they have on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Back in those days, it actually meant us getting in the trenches and going to clubs. And, you know, somebody would say, hey, you need to go see this band. They're playing, you know, they're opening for this act. And, you know, we'd get on a plane or we'd get in a car and we'd go see them. And, and we don't do that anymore. So it's I think we're missing that. That's really interesting. So, Jen, I, I know I talked to you about this the other day. Um, and this is our one of our recent podcast episodes where I went on a little bit of a rant um, quite a quite a nice one about um, a certain jewelry company who asked people on Broadway yeah. to play for free at their store but they'd give them a piece of jewelry right. you and, saw and, this and right I, and I gave you my opinion you on that you sure yeah. did yeah. <laughs> we put it on Facebook <laughs> we put it in the show notes and I'm not going to retract that one either no you should I agree absolutely I mean there's no reason we should play for free but here's the thing I think musicians at least here in this situation um, you know it's Music City people think you come in you play for free that's how you get discovered and you're saying how many followers do you have on Instagram? What's your YouTube like? I mean, that's well, and, more of the discovery now. Yeah, and, and then, you know, we have American Idol and we have The Voice and we've got America's Got Talent. And, I, and I've, had a couple, I've had a couple guests on our podcast that were participants in that, contestants on those shows. And it's literally 15 minutes of fame. Mm -hmm. You know, you get on there, you're on TV, and at the end of the day, you know, Unless you win or you're in the top two or three, you don't have a record deal. You have nothing to fall back on. So you're back out there just hustling, playing the, the honky tonks on lower Broadway or the clubs around America. Mm -hmm. And it's really tough to. Well, on one hand, it's really tough to be successful doing that. On the other hand, if if you don't have that record label, you don't have that deal. It. It's easier because your your success rate can that level of success can actually be lower because you don't have all the overhead. Yeah. You know, so but, you know, playing for free, I, I, I don't ever encourage that. And, you know, these these really aspiring musicians, these aspiring singer songwriters on lower Broadway here in Nashville. Need to understand that they have a value and it's tough enough for them when they're playing for tips let alone playing for free for exposure what in the heck is exposure yeah exposure doesn't pay your rent yeah yeah and, and, and it doesn't get you anywhere so yeah well in this case it was we'll give you a piece of jewelry but you can't ask for tips and you can't play your original music so then you have the whole thing of licensing and you know oh that, that's it's just something we kind of got into and somebody brought it up on my post and I thought yeah, that's probably something they didn't think about. I hope ASCAP and BMI kind of get on their case and look into them. And, you know, you have this whole thing of, well, if you're not allowed to pay or play originals, 
you have to play covers. Do you have the licensing? The copyright? Yeah. Like, what because is it? Because every other venue in Nashville, and I'm sure around the country, has those BMI and ASCAP, and mm-hmm. in some cases CSAC, mm-hmm. you know, licenses that they're paying. Yeah. And, and that piece of jewelry, you know, what's that actually worth, you know, for your time? And that's the one thing we have to remember is what is your time worth? When right. you get out there and perform. And you talk about classical music, and it's no different. You know, it, 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 if it's a symphony orchestra or it's a rock and roll band or it's a jazz trio, you didn't get there overnight. You didn't get there by good luck. You know, you worked hard. You studied hard. You practiced. You, know, you probably paid for lessons, you know, went to some type of schooling to get an education. And that's that alone is worth some money. And, and I think... We do what we do because we love to, and and I'm, hey, I'm the poster child for let's just do it and make it happen and not worry about you know making money. Uh, that's a big mistake. It really is, and and it's a valuable lesson that we can all learn from. Yeah, I know Jen and I have talked about that ad nauseum with a, a few people. I think. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, playing for free is never a <laughs> it's not a good idea. Exposure doesn't pay your bills. No. Yeah. So, and and here's something because you guys talk about this on 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 your podcast is okay. You're an independent contractor. You're, you're gigging. You're going from one venue to the next. And sometimes these musicians and we use Nashville a lot on our show too because it's where we're based out of. They're traveling from venue to venue to venue, and they're carrying their guitar and they're carrying their amps and they're carrying their cymbals and their drum bags. And then you hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. You know. Then what do you do? Because now you can't play, you can't perform. And, you exactly. can't, and at that point, you can't even really hold a steady job, you know, if you've hurt yourself or you've got to suffer through that. So, yes, there is a value there. There's a worth and you have to really take that into consideration. And it's, and it's tough, you know, for a lot of these artists that think they want that record deal which is another mm-hmm. rabbit hole you really don't want me going down. But, you know, the, the record deal ain't what it used to be. And I don't, and I'm not anti-record label, but it really has to be the right record label, has to be the right deal, the mm-hmm. right contract for it to make sense for the artist. Because that's the other thing. I, boy, I remember 97, 98, sitting here in Nashville on Music Row working, and you'd see... You'd see the, the, the aspiring artists coming off the Greyhound bus and carrying their guitar case up and down Music Row, thinking in their mind that by the end of the day, they're going to have a recording contract, they're going to have a check, they're going to have a limousine that's going to take them to a hotel and put them up. And at the end of the day, they didn't have money to get back home. Oh, my gosh. And that happened more often than not. And we have to remember that, you know, for every thousand artists... And that's a high number. Every, I'm sorry, let me put it this way. For every artist that gets a record deal, there's a thousand artists that don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very, um, it's a very vertical pond. Mm. And the ones that are on the top are the ones that are successful. Everybody else is kind of on the bottom, hoping, trying to figure out how to get, you know, get to the surface and get discovered. Yeah. So it's, it's tough. Mm. There are a lot of directions we could go with that. Jen, do you have any thoughts yeah. before I just... Hey, I'll take you wherever you guys want to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, th- there's one thing that you said to me that really uh, stuck out. And I don't know, Angela, if this is maybe somewhere that you were headed to, or maybe it's just totally different rabbit hole. Um, 
but you were saying um, that you feel like we've lost the uh, a lot of the heart and soul of the industry, and it's gotten very technical. When when you were saying that, were you referring to specifically um, like how we've gone towards the you know discovery via uh, Instagram and YouTube, or or were you talking about other things? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, to answer okay. both your questions, so let's let's step back for a moment. Sure. When I was a kid in high school and in college, we had these amazing groups that didn't have auto-tune, pitch correction. We didn't have click tracks for the drummers. It was two-inch recording tape, which, you know, I still have sitting here, you know, in my studio. He does. Boxes it's in a box it. right here. Um, <laughs> you had to really be creative to get mm -hmm. in there and... and give birth to these amazing bodies of work. Think about, let's, let's go back to the early days. I'm talking the 1700s. People like, you know, Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky in the 1800s. The music that they wrote was amazing and complicated, or maybe I should say complex and mm -hmm. just amazing beautiful bodies of work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then you get into the 1930s 1940s big band era you know he, tommy dorsey glenn miller benny goodman still great music 60s and 70s into the 80s i think was the same way i think you still had a certain amount of creativity that went on i think that you had emotional aspect to it. When you listen to songs, at least from my perspective, and I'm talking classic songs, when you listen to something like Tower of Powers, What is Hip, and that horn section, and the, and, and the bass syncopation, when you listen to that, you'll have to edit this, when you listen to that horn section and, and the punctuation and how funky the bass is and Dave Garibaldi and the drums who's on the offbeat, you know, that's just creativity and originality. Mm -hmm. Now everything is samples. Everything is, or let's talk about lyrically. Mm -hmm. When you take a song like I Can't Make You Love Me by Bonnie Raitt, mm -hmm. what an amazing song. Do you know an NFL ex-football player wrote that? He wrote that song. I want to get into that guy's head, and I want to know what caused him to write the lyrics to I Can't Make You Love Me. Young, kid, young kids need to go out and listen to that song. <laughs> yeah, We have to now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Joe Cocker's, uh, well, it was Billy Preston that wrote it, but Joe Cocker's rendition of You Are So Beautiful. You know, we're missing that now because it's all samples. It's all beats, and it's all auto-tuned and pitch corrected and you know let's take what this person did and sample that into our song and then i think on the other end of things the record label you've lost your artist development your a and r department's not what it used to be you're you're looking at how many followers you have and why are the labels doing that because the labels no longer want to do the work they want the artist to do all the work. Oh, you have 1.2 million followers? Great. Let's sign you up. Here's your record deal. Well, if you've got 1.2 million followers, you don't need a record deal. Yeah. You yeah. can be successful on your own. So, yeah, I, I think that's where we've lost some of the emotional aspect and some of the creativity of the business. Other than that, I think it's great. I know there's discussions about that, too, in the classical world. This is part of why I was asking about it, because I think this is something that we have in common. Um, and, you know, I like pointing things out that we have in common. <laughs> mm -hmm. But we've, we've talked about that too, where it's like, okay, well, you know, 
back in, say, Mozart, Bach, Beethoven eras, um, there were local orchestras for smaller towns where you could be that kind of middle tier per performer and really still, you know, survive and make people happy. It was just what people had access to. There was there was more accessibility or more need for more people to have accessibility, if that makes sense, more workers. Whereas now, like you can get a recording, if you can get a recording of um, John Williams conducting London Symphony on one of his, you know, big pieces, why would you go hear, you know, rinky dink little community college orchestra play it? Right? <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, you're gonna hear the perfect recording every time. Why would you go? pay for somebody who's not as good to hear them do it live or mess it up live as the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, so I, like I said, I know there's, there's discussion about that in the music or in the classical music world too. So it's, it's very sad. I complain about auto tune left and right. I hate it. It drives me crazy. Well, <laughs> and, and, and if you have a tuned ear, you spend enough time in the studio and you spend enough time around these artists Mm -hmm. After a while, you can start recognizing what's been auto-tuned. Oh, yeah. It's a little too perfect. You know, I, mm -hmm. I go back and I listen to Carol King's Tapestry album, 1971, the song So Far Away, and the bass player clunks a note, <laughs> and they didn't fix it. And they didn't fix it. And I'm so glad they didn't because it gives that humanistic aspect mm -hmm. of you know nobody was perfect in the studio he was reaching for a harmonic and it kind of you know twinked yeah but they left <laughs> it in there and and i'm glad they did and the other thing you talk about youtube we have so many distractions yeah john williams okay i wanted to listen to john williams do you know whatever i get on youtube right. mm -hmm. and i'd listen to it well there's a couple things wrong with that as far as i'm concerned first of all YouTube, along with any other platform, compresses the heck out of music. Uh -huh. So you're not really hearing the true range, the full range, 40 cycles to, you know, 16,000 cycles, whatever the human ear uh, has. And for me at my age, it's not quite as much as, you know, the average person. <laughs> so you, you have a compression issue. And then the other thing is, it's too many distractions. <laughs> you know, when you come into our studio, we have, you pass by four televisions before you sit down, you know, and each one of those on, a, on an average day will be on and there's something going on with them. Plus, you have your cell phone, you have your tablets, you have your laptops. You know, as we're sitting here having a discussion, we get an alarm to go off, you know, for a flood warning, which is great because we haven't had rain in two weeks. So it's nice. But it's all these distractions. And then we wonder right. why we don't sleep at night. Yeah, you know, we don't get full eight hours of sleep. Now, me, I once again, I'm the poster child for that, too, because I'll wake up at two o'clock in the morning and, and look at email on my phone. I wish I didn't. I truly don't. <laughs> but I've become a creature of habit over the years of doing that. Mm -hmm. And I'm supposed to be retired. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's all it's all those distractions on top of everything else, you know. We don't listen to music the way we used to. We mm. don't appreciate it. And then we have 500 channels of television and video games and TikTok, you know, things. It's those distractions that I, I think take a lot, away a lot of that creativity that we just don't see. And I'm not saying it's not out there. I think it's definitely yeah. out there. It just needs to be rediscovered. Right. I toured just with... 
I, I toured with two classical pianists back in the in the early 80s, um, and and we traveled with two nine-foot concert grand pianos in road cases. Oh, my and, and gosh. And we traveled all over the country. It was two guys named Markham and Broadway. Uh, Impressive. Wonderful guys. And we only did three shows a week. We called it a country club tour because on, on the nine days. Con- yeah, on the days. Nine-foot concert grands. <laughs> Yeah, on the days we they weren't performing and we weren't traveling, we'd go find golf courses. You know, we'd, we'd, yeah. we'd play golf. Uh, that sounds like the good life, right there. You, mm-hmm. It was so amazing these guys, and and what I loved about it was they would play small cities or, or small towns. You know, sometimes we were in the high school auditorium or we were in the community center, and you know these pianos were really the biggest thing that these people in this community have ever seen. And it was bringing that musical enlightenment. And mm-hmm. these guys did such an amazing job. I think we're missing a lot of that these days. I, I really do. Yeah. Schools, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools. Where's the music programs these days to teach yeah. these kids that? You know, that's the other thing. I, yeah. How many people listening to this podcast or listening to our podcast, the Business Side of Music podcast, how many of those people, and I'm guilty, I'm going to raise my hand, how many of them have musical instruments sitting in their closet that they're never going to use? Now, I defend myself in that aspect because I don't think there's a big demand for banjos in school. (laughs) You're in Tennessee, Bob. Come on. Okay. All right. All right. You got me. But how many people have a clarinet or a trumpet or a violin or a cello or a flute they haven't touched? Everybody's got a flute in their closet. Yeah, or should, at least. Everybody's mom played flute in sixth grade. How many of those those instruments are sitting there gathering dust? And instead of, oh, maybe I should just put it on Craigslist and sell it. Why don't you find a program? I know that Sting was doing something for a while. We've had some people on the show uh, that have, have done the same thing. They, they go out and they find a place for these musical instruments for the kids. I think we've got to get back to that basic, too. Mm-hmm. I told you I was going to take you down a bunch of rabbit holes. No, this is great. We- okay. That, that's, that's what it, this is about. Plus, you know, it, right. it's not just health and wellness. I mean, that's part of it. But it's also, we talk about mental fitness. We talk about right, right. business, you know, and like how it all relates to us yeah. as entrepreneurs, as musicians. Is, you know, there's just so many aspects to it. So this is totally fine. And I know we've, we've talked about this as well, some, somewhat, maybe not exactly like this. But, you know, I think that's really interesting what you're saying. But I'm thinking also, you know, we have something like, we have Bonnaroo. Because they're trying to make what Woodstock was, which you could never do. Never. Bonnaroo is not never. even close. They're trying, but they're not. Um, you know, and then we have these music festivals. A lot of them are like, like there's electronic music festivals, which, which is kind of funny because I really like electronic music, but I'll go hear a symphony or I'll go hear a concert. And I love that in a concert, you don't have the chance to fix anything, you no. know. And in schools of music, we're teaching people, you have to learn how to fake it. And you got to learn how to carry on. And that it's not just about that perfectionism. It's about, you know, grace for yourself, but also embracing that creativity. And when something goes wrong, how do you make it right? How do you in the middle of a live performance in the middle of a live performance? You know, and it's it's not the same as when you're in the studio and you're just making everything perfect. You know, it's like we we kind of scratch our heads when somebody's watching Saturday Night Live and there's an artist performing and they've picked the wrong track or something goes wrong electronically. It's life. You know, and they freeze and they don't know what to do because they haven't 
come up through those mm-hmm. trenches mm-hmm. of playing the clubs and playing the music themselves instead of relying on tracks. And and I know artists out there that that are are traveling and performing with tracks, and that's okay because they don't really have the budget to mm-hmm. to pay for the five or six piece band that that they need. It, my opinion, for what it's worth, get rid of the tracks and get back to basics. Play a guitar, play a keyboard. Do you know who Judy Collins is? Back in the 70s, she was a... Oh, oh, I'm, I'm trying, I know. Judy I... Collins. One of her biggest hits was Send In The Clowns. Oh, yeah. Okay? Absolutely love her. So my wife and I went and saw her some weeks ago. It was her on a 12-string guitar and a piano player. Mm. And it was probably one of the top five concerts I've ever been to. It's a lot. And I'm talking... And this... She's like late 70s early 80s and still and i mean age not you know generation she's still killing still has the voice she took care of herself that's impressive she looks great and just hit it out of the ballpark yeah very simple her 12 string guitar and a piano and sometimes the piano player walked off or she'd put the guitar down and let the piano player you know gets just really simplify it you know that's to me, that's true raw talent, mm-hmm. and and I I would rather see. That's what I love about classical music or jazz. Mm-hmm. There's no pretensions there. It's you know, it's this is the real deal. And oh, there's uh, a lot of pretension in the classical music. Okay. <laughs> well, pretension or attitude. <laughs> that's fa- oh, that's fair. Okay, yeah, that's, okay. that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is expected that you will be perfect on stage, but. That does not yeah, happen. Yeah, no, that does not happen. Yeah, we're, we're no, human. We're human know. beings. You know, if you watch, like, the the first section of violins yeah. in a symphony orchestra, I know from my days, all the bows should all be going the same way at the same time. And inevitably, someone gets off. You know, they're going in the wrong direction. I, I, I used to play upright bass in symphony orchestra. And, you know, it's the same thing. We had our little markings up or down on, you know, which way we're supposed to go with the bow. It's, it's, we're humans. We're going to make those errors. As long as we don't hit too many bad notes that at least aren't noticeable, you know, just deal with it. But yeah, I think we've got to get back to basics. So I want to take this a little bit in another direction, like with something that you just said about how Judy Collins was aging well and her voice was aging well. And obviously she'd taken care of herself. When we think about musicians who are, they've, they've been in the scene for a while. Um, not, I'm not sh- quite sure how to phrase this, but just like, what are some things that you have seen where the, with people who have taken care of themselves versus not taking care of themselves, how they can, I mean, the Rolling Stones are still performing live, which yeah. is insane. It, but like, how do you, I think you brought up you a seen? pretty, uh, you've, you brought up a perfect example there, mm-hmm. the Rolling Stones. So here's Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, who have done probably, especially Keith, have probably done every drug known to man over the years, but finally reached a point, at least in mixed life, where health, good eating, fitness, yoga, you know, the guy's what, 80 years old, close to that? And he's out there, you know, rocking the stage every night. I think that's a lot of it. I think think some of it's the mindset. I, I think you have to have a positive attitude, and that can be really tough in this business. One of the reasons, you know, some people stay up at two o'clock in the morning and they're just fretting over things that they can't control mm. those dynamics. But I, so I think part of it is if you've got a good mindset 
I think if you have a good health plan in place to where you can take care of yourself and you haven't totally thrashed your voice or, you know, in some cases, guitar players out there, some some really well-known guitarists who can't play anymore because they now have carpal tunnel syndrome or they have arthritis Mm -hmm. because they didn't, you know, whatever it was, I don't know, stretching exercises, you know, didn't take care of themselves properly. And I, and I think that's, that's really the two key components, having a good mindset and taking care of yourself physically. I, I really think that, that keeps you in the long game. Mm. Yeah. So piggybacking off of that, my next question is, with all these years that you've had on the road with all these different bands, what are some of the things that you've seen with the musicians you've worked up? You don't have to mention any names, but good or bad. Good, because that's all going to come out in the book anyway. So. Oh, perfect. Yeah, the yeah, book I'm writing. I'm still waiting on this book he's writing. Yeah, well, it, it's coming. It's coming, okay. So um, totally expect a copy. So with the with the musicians that you have worked with and toured with, you know, good or bad, what are some of the things that you've seen, how they've taken care of themselves, who has a routine, what was the routine kind of thing, um, you know, how to stay fit and healthy on the road and in the studio. And on the other side of that, what are some of, like, the challenges you have as a road musician or some of the injuries that you've seen and, like, how uh. people addressed them? Did they just push through or did they find a way, like, let me go find a doc in the box on my day off? Yeah. You know, what did, did both sides of that? So I am the perfect example of what to do and what not to do as a road manager. Uh, I'll start there. So I was touring with a band, and I was probably 10 to 15 years older than every single guy in the band. But I was in pretty good shape back in those days, and Mm -hmm. and we had mountain bikes that we carried in the trailer behind the bus. We'd go mountain biking in sometimes 20, 30 miles a day, you know, just before the show. Let's go out and get a little exercise. And then one day, everybody decided to go get rollerblades and well I used to roller skate as a kid this will be easy I can do this well there's a difference between inline skates and roller skates look it up oh yeah yeah so we purchased our inline skates at a Costco on the top of a hill our (laughs) hotel was at the bottom of the hill oh oh no and I visited the ER (laughs) that night and several doctors for several days after that. Now, you're on the road. So, you know, it's a different doctor every day, oh like trying to, to get yourself healed. I, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't break something. You know, I had a pretty big hematoma for about a week that, you know, they had to keep taking a look at. I think what's changed a lot, we're taking better care of ourselves. We've learned, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and the 80s, it was literally sex, drugs and rock and roll. I mean, that's what it was. Now, I don't know about the classical world might have been, but in 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 the rock and roll and R&B and and to a certain extent country, it was sex, drugs and rock and roll. That's that's just what it was. You got on the bus, you partied all night. You got to the next city, you'd sleep for a couple hours, you get up on the stage, you do your show, you get on the bus, you party all night. You know, it's just just, (laughs) Wash, rinse, repeat. That's what it was. Well, we see these movies with like John about Johnny Cash and you know uh, uh, Hank Williams Senior and stuff. So that it, it could have. It sounds like it was infiltrating oh, the country. Oh as yeah, well. I think it was everywhere. So at some point, a light went off, and somebody said, "You know, I I can't continue to live this way." And I think that became very infectious. And I think people started taking care of themselves. 
Plus, certain things changed in the business, in the industry, especially from like a live performance standpoint. Used to be backstage was a deli tray and a 12 pack of Coke and a bag of ice, you know, and some chips. And that was kind of your standard fare. And now it's gotten to the point where there's sit-down meals, it's healthy options, you know, might be vegetarian, might be fish, you know, no red meat on, you know, Thursday through Sunday type. I've seen it. I've seen it in these in these writers, these technical writers. All we hear about is like no green M&Ms. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know that. I, oh, my gosh. I Here, just so we know. Yeah. At the end of this, I totally want to know what's in the craziest riders you've ever seen. But that, oh, we'll, okay. we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, we've got to talk about that one. Um, so, so I think, yeah, the artists are taking, they're taking a step to live a little better life. Now, I, I worked with one band, a pretty successful band at one point, And each artist in the band had a different meal writer. So one guy was lobster, one guy was barbecue, one guy was all uh, vegetarian. Every day? Every day. It's a lot of lobster. Well, it was just, you know, they could afford it. That was the lifestyle. You know, I, I think, you know, Rod Stewart carries his own chef with him when he goes out on the road. And I think that's one of the reasons at his age he can still get out there and perform. Because he learned to take care of himself. He had a chef. To, now... Not everybody can afford that, but I, I think eating healthy and you know taking care of yourself, I, I think that that happens. So, the writers, the technical production writers, the the backstage writers that tells what the act needs and wants, and uh, you know I, I think those have changed. And in, in, but it kind of gets back to that mindset. Everybody's just this is a very short ride. You know we used to say in the record business, success was seven years or seven albums. That's really what we based your success on as an artist. If you could create seven albums successfully or stay in the business seven years and somehow somewhere those seven albums kind of fit into that, you were a success. But it's not that way anymore. It's now, you know, longevity. How long can you stay out there and perform? There's some artists out there touring haven't had a record deal in years and don't need a record deal because they have a fan base. Mm. Now, they're not playing for the tens of thousands, but you know, they're playing for several hundred or a few thousand and they're very comfortable at that. They're making a living. And you even have younger independent artists that are playing for smaller crowds than that and are still being successful because they're selling merchandise, they're selling CDs, they're selling their latest, you know, download. Um, I, I think that is, that's kind of the new generation of what we're going to see in music. We just had a guest on our show uh, a while back where, where artists are now selling NFTs, non-fungible tokens. I have no idea what that was. Really still don't for the most Bitcoin. part. Bitcoin. If you don't know yeah, what that is, it's, think Bitcoin. Yeah, it's Bitcoin. <laughs> but they're, they're, selling, they're selling percentages of their project. You know, creating these digital masterpieces that you can own through NFTs, Bitcoins. So, yeah, it's that part's changed. Yeah. Sorry. I, I know there's there's other NFTs out there, um, but if you didn't know what that term was, I just figured that was the most non-NFT knowledgeable part, like <laughs> the, the <laughs> phrase that would get people to understand it very quickly. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's super helpful because, yeah. That, uh, okay. So going back to the the health aspect what about the things that didn't that you've seen on the road that what were the things that people struggled with 
you know, maybe injury wise or health wise or what were some challenges? Well, you know, when I brought up when I brought up the whole inline skating thing, that was a really kind of a perfect example of if you hurt yourself on the road, yeah. you have to find, you know, rock docks. You have to find a dock in the box. You, you know, and back in those days, we didn't have urgent care like we have now. Oh. You know, you would have to hopefully find a doctor or someone that you could get to on the weekend. A lot of times that you left it up to the club owner or the venue. You know, can you find, hey, so-and-so's got a cold, a really bad cold on a tour bus by one person. One person has a really bad cold. I can guarantee you in one week, everybody else on that bus has the same cold. Of course. Unless it gets taken care of because you're all breathing the same recycled air. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, that's going to affect a show or two or three. You know, someone's going to get so sick they can't perform. God forbid the lead singer, you know, loses their voice. And I've had that happen a few times on some, some shows that I've done, some tours that I've done. So it's important that, you know, as a road manager, I used to build a database of, okay, we're going to be in Minneapolis. I know who the doctor is to call in that town. We're going to be in Amarillo, Texas. I know who the chiropractor is. Oh. You know, someone needs adjustment because their back is out. You know, when you carry a bass guitar, and you've talked about this on, on your podcast with us, on, on our podcast. You know, when you have that 40-pound Les Paul or that Fender Precision bass hanging off your neck, you have to get adjustments every once in a while. So what do you do? So I, I think a good road manager or a good musician will start figuring out who those people are in those cities to reach out to. I think that is so important that is, is so often overlooked. Yeah. Bingo. That was not the direction I was thinking, but that's the really... Well, what direction would you like to go? Well, I was thinking more like, okay, have you seen stuff like, you know... I don't know. Maybe you're a guitar tech and you're you're running cables or or you know. What the inline skate incident isn't enough. No, for well, you? that's an acute. <laughs> I, I think you get injured on the job, no matter what the job is. Yeah, for you know? sure. And you know whether it's you know you you prick your finger off of a guitar string, or you know you get a a, 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 a I joke a paper cut, but those hurt. You know, or you sprain your back lifting road cases. Sure. You know when you're when you're when you're a stagehand on a show or you're a roadie and your job is to lift, you know, road cases full of chain motors or heavy speakers and you got to take these up and down stairs and nine foot Yamaha concert grand pianos. When you play an auditorium in a small town in Texas that has no ramps and all it has is stairs Ooh. and you have eight guys to lift these pianos and it's still not enough and you feel something tweak in your back, Ooh. you know, it happens. Yeah. So for sure, there's really no preventive maintenance at that point. It's just got to get, and oh yeah, by the way, you have to be in another city in three days and do this all over again, you know? So it's, it's, you got to take care of yourself as best as you can, but inevitably you're going to, you're going to have some injuries. You're going to, you're going to have something that's going to really uh, bench you. No matter what. And I've seen it. I've seen, you know, I, more so in the crew than in the band. I think from the from the artist's perspective, it's normally, it's typically more the cold or the flu. And, you know, we've seen it a lot lately. COVID has is, COVID is canceled dates or canceled tours. But I think for the 
the roadie, the techs, I, I think it becomes a physical injury because they are physical. They're doing something every day. They're building lighting trusses. They're building stages. They're stacking guitar amps and speakers. And, you know, if you're not careful. And, and the other thing we got to remember is it's a young man's game or it's a young woman's game. You get to be my age mm. and you've survived it and, you know, you can still walk upright, you're doing pretty darn good. But I know a lot of people that were in the business for 10, 15, 20 years who were so prone to back aches and neck aches and, you know, because they just, they hurt themselves and they never really got taken care of. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's the biggest thing. So when we talk about getting injured, health maintenance to me, I think is critically important. That's what I talk about chiropractors. You know, some people poo poo that, but I, I chiropractors saved my, literally saved my neck more than once, you know, on the road. For sure. You know, you're sleeping in a tour bus and you're comfortable and you got your favorite pillow and you know, it's nice and relaxing. And then you wake up the next morning, you can't turn your head one way or the other. You know, something happened. So, yeah. you know, I'd go find a chiropractor and they, they'd fix me. And Jen, hop in here if you if you have anything. But the other thing I thought that we might want to talk about is also like, what are there some kind of challenges when it has to do with sleep and nutrition on the road? Yeah. Exercise, I think, is important. Okay, so you you build a stage and you set up the band's equipment and you do the show. It's not really exercise. That's just part of your job. So I think... And the other thing is you're running on adrenaline, a good part of it. You know, the most, one of the coolest things that would ever happen to me is you get to a city, here's your stage, it's just a blank, clean slate, and you build your risers and you put all of your band equipment on and you set up all the lights and all the sound, and then, you know, you open the doors and 3,000 people or 4,000 or 5,000 people come in and the lights go out and you, you just get that adrenaline rush. You know, oh my gosh, this is so cool. They're cheering. And you know that you've done all the work for the artist that's on stage. That doesn't go away. So at the end of the night, you get on the bus and, you know, you sit up and you finally realize about two or three o'clock in the morning, you're tired and you want to get some sleep. <laughs> Your day's off. You got to do laundry. You've got to go, you know, send money, you know, wherever via Western Union or, you know, to get the bills paid at home. Or now we can do it online. But back in those days, it wasn't quite so simple. And it, it's tough to find a time to relax. So I think that's the key component. And when I say relax, I'm not saying sitting on the bus and everybody's drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and, you know, no, take some good quality, quiet time. I would get in my bunk and I would read a book and I would listen to some music on my headphones. To me, that was my quality time. Nobody's going to bother me. Nobody's going to ask me a question. You know, that's, I, I think you have to, you have to provide to yourself the time to take care of yourself. And, and when, you get from a when you get to a nutrition aspect, I was the king of Taco Bell back in the day. You know, I, <laughs> I knew where pretty much every Taco Bell was on the road. <laughs> and, and there were several people in the band that thanked me for that because, you know, that, that was our comfort food. Yeah. But we can't eat that way. You know, it catches up to you. So you, you have to start eating healthy. You have to start thinking about salads, you know, which is not, it's not sexy. You know, <laughs> it's, not it's not exotic. But you, know, you got to start thinking about eating healthy and, and, and drinking plenty of water. Uh, you know, lay off the bourbon, drink the water. <laughs> uh, not that I follow that exactly. Not really. But, uh, 
Just kidding. Uh, no, it's okay. Uh, you kid the beaver. I get it. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think that's the important thing. You have to take the time to really. You have to work a little harder to eat well, and that's tough to do on the road, especially when you're traveling and you wind up at a Denny's or a Shoney's or a Cracker Barrel. You know, what can I eat that's not going to give me cardiac arrest? You know, hmm. or I'm going to need an angioplasty in in ten years. So. You know, it's it's tough. And, and it took me a long time myself to figure out I needed to start eating salads, sure. you know, a lot more than the burger with the French fries. So, yeah, I, I think rest and nutrition is real important. And I think you can get it, but you have to be able to carve that time out for yourself. And you may have to do it in small bites, both literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about riders? We can talk about riders. There's a, there's a, there's a site, uh, it's called smoking gun. I think it's smokinggun.com. I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. And it lists all of the writers of, of the different artists. Oh, fun. My favorite is Iggy pop from Iggy and the Stooges. His writer is written as though it's comic relief. Whoever wrote this writer had an amazing sense of humor. Yeah. Iggy Pop. Now, getting to the green M&Ms, here's, here's what happened. Van Halen found out. Sorry, real, real quick. For those of us out there who might know, like I know contextually what we're talking about, but maybe some people don't. Can we just define what that is real quick? Like, what is a writer? Okay, so a, <laughs> Good point. A, a writer is part of a contract. So when a band goes into a certain city to play a certain show, whether it be a nightclub or a county fair or an auditorium or an arena, there's a writer attached to it. Now, the writer will have a lot of different parts to it. Part of it will be the technical writer, and that will cover this is the type of lighting we need, this type of sound that we need. Um, if it's what we call a fly date where they'll fly in to do the show and they don't take their band gear with them, they may carry their guitars and their basses and their drumsticks. It'll, it'll indicate what type of amplifiers and drum sets and keyboards that they want. Hotels. This is, these are the hotels we will stay at. These are the hotels we will not stay at. Anything that typically has a number beside it, it we're not staying there. <laughs> no offense, Super 8 or Motel 6. I've stayed in enough of those. When you're on the road long enough and often enough, you really figure out what it is you know, you're comfortable doing. Won't stay at people's houses. I used to tour with the Christian Act, and their, their writer stipulated we will not stay at people's houses because Christian acts played a lot of churches. Yeah. You know, and they'll do a potluck dinner, which is bad enough. And uh, I love me some good potluck. Though. Well, yeah, but you can't do that every night. Uh, no, no. And, and then you're going to stay at, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Jones house and you're going to sleep in Johnny's room with Johnny. You know? <laughs> oh, and did we tell you he has the chicken pox, you know, those I, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but that's, you know, so. Hotels will list the type of hotels. And then you have your backstage catering. Now, backstage catering, we touched on a little bit. You know, like someone like Rod Stewart carries around his own chef. One of the bands I toured with, they had lobster and, and barbecue and, you know, whatever. Some acts will say, on Mondays, we want chicken. On Tuesdays, we want steak. On Wednesdays, we want fish. On Thursdays, we want Mexican. On Fridays, we want Italian. It gets that 
detailed oriented. It will also say in our dressing room, we need a case of water. We need 50 towels. We need, you know, uh, certain dips and, and, you know, deli trays and fruit and vegetable trays. What happened was, is Van Halen found out that a lot of these promoters back in the day weren't reading the riders. They might cover the sound and the lights properly, but then the boys would get into the dress rooms and they'd find out there's, oh yeah, there's that bag of potato chips and, you know, 12 pack of Coke. So they stipulated in their rider that there be no green M&Ms <laughs> in a bowl. And, and I don't remember exactly, but I think it was like a 32 ounce bowl of M&Ms with all the green ones taken out. <laughs> and the only reason they did that was to make sure that the buyer of the date, the promoter of the show, was reading the contract. Now, I, I took it one step further when I was out with one of our acts, and we wrote the writer. And I said, if you have not read this writer to its fullest and acknowledge, and there was a little place for them to initial, you have to purchase two tickets to Disneyland or Disney World and give it to Make-A-Wish Foundation. Okay. Now, I was never going to hold anybody to that, but it was my indicator of whether they've read the writer. I only had one promoter in the three or four years I was with this band that came to me and said, did you really mean that about the, the tickets? So he Make read it. He had actually read it. And, and I told him, I said, you're the first person that's ever came to me and asked about that. So that's why you put those things in there, because you, you want to make sure they're reading it. it it's, yeah. it. it's what you feel is is necessary for you to be successful to do the show that evening now some of it can get a bit ridiculous i think you know the the lobster is a little over the top but that's what that particular artist wanted i i had one artist that he only asked for two things at, at the end of the show he wanted to have a nice bottle of wine and when we say nice bottle of wine it's like a 40 or 50 dollar bottle of red wine and he wanted to make sure they got paid that was it we'd get in the car at the end of the night because we we flew everywhere to do his shows and that, that's two things they'd ask me. Did you get the wine? Did you get the check? <laughs> yep. Got them both. Okay, great. Too simple. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> it, it, and it becomes a routine. And that's the other thing we have to remember. It, you don't want surprises. When you're on the road, I, I, I pulled up with a band once in the tour bus and we got to the venue. It was about nine o'clock in the morning. We'd been traveling all night on the bus and the bus driver had gone onto the hotel to go to sleep. And about probably about 11 o'clock or so the guitar tech and the lighting guy woke me up and they said we have a problem and i said what's the problem i said well first of all the sound system you ordered and the lighting system you ordered aren't here and i'm great we're loading in, in in an hour or so and they said and the power's been turned off in the venue the promoter did not pay his power bill those are surprises you don't like when you're on the road. Okay. Uh, now, at that point, you forget about the catering rider. That just kind of goes out. <laughs> Can I get a bucket of chicken, you know, to keep my guys happy? You know, so those, yeah, think, you'd be surprised at things that, that happen out there. Those are the surprises you don't want. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so th those, those are where riders come into place. It's really to, you know to keep the surprises at a minimum. I should have put in the writer after that, must have power bill paid in order for us to do the show. <laughs> Common sense, you kind yeah. of figure the, the venue's gonna have power. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, would think, well, but. You would think, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's what you get for assuming. <laughs> right? So, 
Jenda, do you want anything to pop in? It's it's so weird. Like we're right here, and like you're here. Like you need to be yeah, right over here. Yeah, but I can see here. her. She's I just know. there's like a little mini me of her. That's all. <laughs> Bob's on his phone. <laughs> I know. I know. No, so I'm just it, over here enjoying the stories. It's great. <laughs> I told you, Bob had a lot of stories. Well, is there any kind of information? Not information. Um, is there any kind of advice that you would give to anybody who's kind of up and coming or? Let's let's go this way. Say you just got out of music school and you say, well, now what? What advice would you give to a musician who just wants to break in and like make a living playing music? What are some I'd things go, that they would need to know? I'd go find another career doing something else. Oh, no, don't else. say that. You can't say that. <laughs> okay. I think a couple things. First of all, get yourself some really good financial advice. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a tough road you're going to be going down. You're not going to make... 999 times out of a thousand you're not going to make the millions that you may think you're going to make mm-hmm. okay so get yourself some good financial advice plan a budget and plan a game plan you know put a game plan together this is where i want to be in six months that's not unrealistic mm-hmm. this is where i want to be in a year this is where i want to be in two years in five years but make sure they're realistic goals in five years i want to have a private jet and my own pilot that's not realistic You know, you may be traveling in a 12 passenger van with a U-Haul trailer behind you. Deal with it. That's going to be part of your success. And define what your success is going to be. I don't want to hear that. Well, I'm good enough. I can go get a record deal. No, you can't work at what it is that you do and be successful. Have a budget, you know, understand what it's going to, that you may have to be a server at a restaurant for a while. Or, you know, my, my son wanted to get into the, into the studio business. He wanted to he was wanting to intern when you're during high school. He said, oh, I think I want to work in a recording studio. Great. So I got him a summer gig working at a studio here in Nashville. And he came home and said, how was your first day? And he goes, Pops, all I did was make coffee and roll cables. And I said, that's probably all you're going to do the entire summer. You think they're going to let you touch, you know, a quarter million dollar recording console? They're not going to. You can look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you can look at it. Maybe you can look at um, it. So, you know, have realistic goals, have realistic expectations. And then I think the other thing is talk to people that have been in the business for more than a minute and a half. Mm. There's a lot of really good, experienced people who have served their time in this business. And yes, has the business changed? Absolutely. But they still have words of wisdom to provide. What is it going to take to be on stage? When we built this podcast studio, I had a buddy come in and he said, yeah, you're doing it all wrong. You got too many things on the walls. You know, you just want to. We did have a lot of things on the walls. Yeah, we did. Well, we had all of our album plaques and, you know, and things. He says, those are distractions. Now just have curtains, have drapes, so people focus on the show and not all those things. And I've taken that to heart when I've talked to to artists that are performing on YouTube or or Instagram or, or Facebook. You know, they're doing a Facebook live stream. Don't have a lot of clutter behind you. You really want the focus to be on that or you want it to be on you? Know your show. I can't say that enough. Know your show. I don't care if you're going to play three songs or 30 songs. Know how you're going to do them and what sequence they're going to be. Know what you're going to say in between them. It may become repetitive for you, but the person that's seeing your show for the first or second or third time, it's new to them. So... And, and remember something else. You're there to entertain. That's what you're there for. 
these these people that want to get up and and I'm going to go down this hole that I shouldn't rabbit hole shouldn't but don't get political don't don't take people where they're not comfortable that's not what they're there for they want to hear you now when you become hugely successful and you've sold millions of albums go ahead and run for political office but in the meantime just get up there and perform because that's really what you're doing you're entertaining the people and don't lose focus on that i'm sure we're all thinking kanye what <laughs> like, right i i just you know I, I i i i am the first guy that will turn the tv off if someone starts going that direction because i don't want to hear i don't want to be lectured that's not I what wanna, you wanted to watch i want to be entertained now one of my favorites is pete townsend uh from the who who did a show a few months ago and someone in the audience yelled out a song now the who Freebird. how <laughs> <laughs> Wrong band, but okay. I know, I know, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The number one request at weddings. Um, you know, so here's the Who have got so many great hits, and someone in the audience yelled out a song, and Pete Townsend basically stopped the show and he said, "We don't do requests." Now you know what? He can do that. And, and that's fine <laughs> mm-hmm. because I want, you know, at, at some point they may do that song anyway, or it may be such a deep track that the person in the audience is the only one that's ever heard it. I don't know. But you're there to entertain. You know, when you, we went and saw um, Leonette and Friends, do you know who they are? Leonette and Friends is a band out of, they're made up of Russians and Ukrainians. And guess what? They all get along together and they play music from Chicago. They're a tribute band. They play Chicago. They play Earth, Wind and Fire. They play Tower of Power. They play Shaka Khan. And they're amazing. It's 14 musicians on stage. Wow. And those tickets, when we weren't, weren't cheap. They, I haven't spent that much money on, you know, tickets in a long time, but it was worth it because the whole two hours not including the intermission they took. The whole two hours that they performed, at the end of the night, I'm like, I gotta go out and smoke a cigarette, it was that good. And I don't (laughs) smoke cigarettes. But it was that good. It was literally that good. I, I, we have to get back to entertaining. You've gotta entertain the masses. You guess what? Fans are gonna love you. They're gonna buy your stuff. They're gonna buy your t-shirts and your hats and your pictures and your CDs. Sell CDs. My gosh, have we gotten so, you know, stream happy that we can't sell CDs anymore? And put liner notes in them, too. I want to know the lyrics to the song. I want to know who played on them. I want to know where it was recorded. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I go to McKay's here in Nashville. Oh, yeah. And I'll buy vinyl and I'll buy CDs. And it's getting tougher and tougher to find the new stuff. It it is. But, you know, every once in a while I'll find that... uh, Ruben Blades is a is an artist from um, Panama, absolutely, li- and he's an actor. Ruben Blades, famous actor, and and, he, and he's a and he's a Latin recording artist. And I found out one day that he did a song from one of my favorite artists, Pat Metheny. And I said, "Oh, I got to go check this out." So I listened to it on YouTube, and then I went to McKay's and I bought the album, and then I read all the liner notes while I'm listening to the album. We need that back in our lives. We need to know. You know, when I was in the, in the 70s, when I was in high school, 
I wanted to know who played on Carol King's album. I want to know who played on James Taylor album. I want to know who played on all these different projects. And after a while, you started to see a theme. You started to see a thread. Oh, this bass player played on this album and he played on that album. This guitar player did this. And, and after a while you go, okay, this is cool. I did the same thing with Jen. Did you ever do this? Like you go to the, the movies and you wait to see the credits just to see who the musicians were. Cause that was my dream job was to be a movie musician. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, that's who the composer was. I knew it. And then it's like, Oh, that was the flute player. You know? And you just well, nerd here, out. You want, you want a little secret? Yes. You, you want to get into that business? Yes. Keep looking at seeing who those people are and reach out to them. Now you may not be able to find them directly, but you may be able to find out who their engineer is or their scoring person is, you know, their arranger, or maybe their manager or their agent. And then that brings up the probably the last thing that everybody should do. Build relationships. That is so flippant important. Build relationships. And when I say build a relationship, it's not ask what someone can do for you. You need to find out what you can do for them. Hey, uh, you got a gig? Can I help promote it? You know, I'll put it on Facebook. You got a podcast? I'll promote my your podcast on my page. Um, I'll come to your show. I'll bring two friends with me, you know, because after a while, it'll start paying back to you, too. It's all about relationships. What can you do to help someone else in their career? Because after a while, people will find out, and there, there'll be ones that'll take advantage of that situation, but there'll be people that'll find out this person's good. Hey, you know what? I can't go out and do this gig on the road, but so-and-so who's been so good to me, I think might be a good fit. And that's actually happened to someone that I know. He was, he was playing down on lower Broadway and just, you know, pounding the, the pavement, doing the gigs, you know, three, four honky tonks a night. And one day a buddy of his said, I, I'm going on the road. I have to leave. Can you, can you take over these nights for me? Well, that's coveted real estate. So my buddy Jason, he went and he started playing all these gigs on, on Lower Broadway. Well, when the guy came back, he thanked Jason. And then a road opportunity came up that he couldn't take, and he offered it to Jason. Nice. Yeah. You know? yep. So it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. I've had something like that happen. I'm sure, Jen, you probably have too, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> right. Like I, I did a gig with, uh, I think it was a church gig, like uh, East, it wasn't Easter thing, but there was a, it kind of goes in this circle. So I needed a pianist for my student's recital. So I met, uh, do you know Micah? Micah yes. Snow? Yeah. 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 Micah Snow. He's here in Nashville. He also does a, I think he does a Bruce Springsteen tribute band. So he's involved with that. But he was our, our accompanist and he said, hey, actually I need a second flute for this flute thing we'd have like me and two flutes for this church thing would you be able to do that and I said sure and so I show up to do this thing and Julie is there don't know if you know Julie Ditzel Mm-mm. okay no. um I meet her turns out we have she's she was in a, a previous life she was in an army band as well and we meet and she plays in a symphony in Kentucky and suddenly I get calls from the symphony in Kentucky two or three of them that they need a piccolo substitute. Can I play those gigs? And so I did like two or three of them, like all in a row. I'm like, this is awesome. You know, and it's just like you show up, you're nice, you make friends, and then you, you just ask about the person because you have to be interested in the person, not like, ooh, can you get me a gig? I mean, <laughs> not how that works. You brought up something else too, and that's be nice. Mm-hmm. Just be nice. Mm-hmm. We automatically have things in common, which I, I wish more people would remember, you know, like we're in music automatically. 
automatically we have things to talk about, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Automatic friendship button right there. Just add courtesy. You know? <laughs> and what if you don't know what to talk about? Well, find out what their musical tastes are. Who did they listen yeah. to when they were growing up? You know, who do they listen to now? What influences them? That's a great cocktail party starter. Mm, good point. Good point. My my first thought is like, if I meet somebody who's who's a session musician, like, how'd you get into it? Why did you decide to play this? Like, what's your favorite venue? What's your favorite movie you got to play on? Yeah, I'm totally fangirl all over that. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Seriously, did you ever get to play? I mean, just seriously, nerd nerd city. But yeah, I think. Um, I think those are like the main questions that I had. Jen, did you have anything? No, I think you, I think we covered a lot. I, I was just enjoying the stories over here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got one more then. And this doesn't have anything okay. to do with, with health and wellness or whatsoever. But like if you had a favorite story from the road or from any of your time with any of your other jobs or even, well, no, I don't, even the, even the podcast, a guest that you've had on your podcast, um, what would that story be? Wow. That's a good question. Or maybe something from the road, something from the favorite person you've interviewed on your podcast, or something that oh, just I mean, blew your mind. Besides you? Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. that's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> see how I did that? See, see, see what he just did there? <laughs> I think when, when Tom and I first started the podcast, Tom was the creator of the Business Side of Music and the original producer, we were scrambling to find guests. You know, I was like, will you please be on our show, please? And then at some point, I think around our 40th or 50th episode, things started clicking. People started calling, wanting to be on the show. And we got some pretty cool names. They're all been great. There's not one that I would like less than the other. But I think one of the coolest was we got an email one day from Miles Copeland. Now, if you don't know who Miles is, think the police. Think Sting. He was their manager. And he got oh, a hold cool. of us and he said, I listened to your show. I want to, I'd love to be on. I've written a book and I want to talk about my book. And we got him on the show and, and, and he sent me a copy of the book and I, and I started reading it and I went, oh, this guy's got so many more stories than just staying in the police. His dad was, his dad was CIA. His mom was British intelligence. Oh, you know he and and Stuart Copeland and Ian Copeland. Stuart was the drummer for for the Police, and Ian was their booking agent. As kids, they were living all over the world. They lived in Egypt and they lived in London. You know, and you start hearing these stories, and I was just man, I I could do this all day long. To me, I I think that was that was probably one of the best you know interviews, and and, and we've had some great ones. I. There's so many of them that I could say, you got to listen to this one or listen to that one. But that, that one seems to stick out. I think from the road perspective, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, besides the rollerblading incident, obviously. Oh, I, it's, it's a golden moment in my life. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. It still hurts. Um, <laughs> I worked with a lot of great artists. I think the one that didn't click in until years later was Billy Preston. And a lot of people don't know who Billy was. But if you've watched the Apple documentary on the Beatles and you watch those six hours or nine hours, whatever it is, you notice the band starting to implode. 
about halfway through. They're not getting along. George Harrison has quit. He's walked off the set. John and Paul are trying to get him back. And they finally get back in the studio. And this young 20-something black kid walks in who's a friend of George by the name of Billy Preston who can play a mean keyboard. Turns out he was with Ray Charles. Turns out he was with Little Richard. And he was with Little Richard when he was 16 years old, I think it was. Ray Charles. And he, Billy, almost single-handedly turned the Beatles around and was was on the rooftop when they did their final concert. A lot of people, you have to look for Billy. He's off to the side, but he's the one that does the piano solo on Get Back. And, and he actually is the only one out, outside of Sir George Martin that got album credits. And in fact, on Get Back, it says the Beatles with Billy Preston's never happened any other time that I know of. So 1987, I had, I had just come off a tour uh, that had done okay. It was, you know, I was out on the road with this artist for probably six months or so, and I was enjoying my time off. And I got a phone call at 9 o'clock in the morning, and it was from a booking agent. His name was Shel Safran, good old Jewish guy out of Hollywood, California. Shel Safran, he was a former Golden Globes boxer, now booking agent. And he said, I've got this artist, and they need a road manager. The business manager's out with him right now, and he just can't be out on the road with this guy. He needs to get back to L.A. and take care of business. And he said, but there's going to be some, some baggage that goes with this artist. So let me ask you a couple questions. And I said, sure. And he starts asking me some questions. How would you handle this, and how would you handle that? And, and, I, and I told him. And obviously, I passed the audition, and he goes, great, there's an airline ticket waiting for you at the airport. You're on a red eye tonight, and you have to fly from L.A. to Atlanta to start this tour tomorrow. And I flew into Atlanta, and I met Billy Preston, and I spent almost three years with him on the road. And he was probably the most interesting, intriguing, talented musician you've ever ever seen. I mean, the guy could hear a song played once, one time, and he could play it. And everybody loved him. He toured with the Rolling Stones. He, he performed, toured with Eric Clapton. You know, he just was that amazing of an artist. And I didn't realize how much of an impact he made on me until after he'd passed away. And you start missing someone like that, and you realize this guy had an influence, you know, on me. And, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd still listen to his albums, you know, still listen to his music. He, he was just a great entertainer. And there were a lot of them I worked with. But he was the one that, you know, we, and we had our good days, we had our bad days together. You know, when you're, when you're a road manager and you're taking care of an artist like that, you have to deal with all of those issues, all that baggage that they have. Sure. Um, and it was tiresome, you know, on occasions. But he he was just an amazing he was an amazing artist. That's that's fantastic. I mean, I don't know that I know anybody like that. That's pretty cool. It's rare. <laughs> yeah, it's rare. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although we did we did both interview uh, Vinny Shulchewski and Roy Ag. You remember those? Those were some really great. Do you know them? Mm-mm. They're here in Nashville. Uh, Vinny is a trumpet player. He tours with Martina McBride a lot. Oh, okay. And Roy was the trombone player for Prince. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Roy is... <laughs> Imagine the stories he has. Oh, did he... Do you remember the story? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, which one? 
the pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, somebody's got to go back and listen to one of your podcast episodes. Absolutely. Yes, go back and listen to the uh, the what you could do if you got out of your own way with Roy Ag, and he talks about how he walked in on Prince in his pajamas. Prince was in his pajamas. Roy was not. Was he, was he eating cereal? Was he eating? Somebody was eating cereal. I think, I think <laughs> Roy was lost in Prince's house. Oh. And he found Prince eating cereal in his pajamas. And what he, well, there was that story. And then there was also the, what was it that he said about, uh, he spilled something all over him, right? It was, was it a that? soda pop on the table, right? Well, yeah. I, I think so. Something like that. But it's Prince been, looks it's at him a little bit. I'm not. It has. Clearly. Yeah. And then Prince looks at him and just goes, why? <laughs> it's just, Roy is a masterful storyteller and he's the funniest person on the planet. So it's just a it's a wonderful episode. But I think those two are probably the closest we get to anybody of that caliber. Yeah. You know, so the fact that you got to, to spend that much time with him. And relay those stories. That's really, really I, And I think everything else, we're just going to have to wait until the book comes out. Absolutely. Which, do you have a title yet? Working titles, but, you know, one of them is um, I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. And the other one is Hurry Up and Get Me on Stage. So, I think both of those. Yeah. All right. We'll see. (laughs) And that's all subject to change, too. For sure. But I've just just started working on it. So, getting my cliff notes together and I've talked to a publisher and, you know, so. Yeah. We're getting there. Well, I'll read it. Thank you. Oh, good. (laughs) I'll even yeah, give you a copy. There goes the profit. <laughs> well, Bob, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Oh, we really appreciated you. it. I'm sorry I took up so much air. No, that's a good thing. Good. It's a good thing. That's why you're here. <laughs> thank you very much for your time. We oh, appreciate it. I appreciate it. it. Thank you. Yeah, so where can people find you if they want to know more about you or more about your podcast? Best place to find us is businesssideofmusic.com, www businesssideofmusic.com. It's got all of our shows on there. It's got my bio on there. It's got contact information. I'd love for you to check us out. And of course, we're on all of the usual podcast platforms. You can find us pretty much everywhere. So Perfect. Yeah. All right. All right. So thank you for listening. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and please share with a friend so we can get into more musicians' uh, playlists. Please and thank you. Yeah, and thanks thank for joining you. us. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, musicians. Did you know that up to 90% of musicians will experience playing-related pain or injury over the course of their career? How many hushed conversations have you heard about a lingering, quote, shoulder pain or a weird tingling in your fingers or maybe low back pain or a crampy weakness or maybe you or your colleague just says, I just have to get through the gig and you watch them pop Advil like candy, maybe flush it down with whiskey. How many times have we seen something like this? So many, right? Well, it's time we start talking about our struggles, our pain, our frustrations in a private space where we don't just complain and mobilize and blindly stretch, but we learn how to strengthen our muscles, our career successes, and build each other up. I've got a brand new program that combines all of these things, and I want you to be a part of it. It's a community not a workout. It's a community with group coaching and great content that in 12 weeks will have you understanding more about your body, what you need, and how you work so you can avoid that career-threatening injury. The three things that musicians don't want. We don't want to be injured. We don't want to have a lack of stamina. And we don't want to be clueless, aka when you hurt, who do you go see? Just a quote doctor? 
Well, this program addresses all of those things. You're going to walk away with an immense knowledge of who to see. You're going to be empowered because you're going to know what to do should you ever get injured or should you have a colleague that gets injured. You will be able to actually offer appropriate advice. You're also going to learn about the body and the anatomy as it relates to playing your instrument and your own anatomy. And then you're going to learn how to build not just your strength and endurance, but you're going to learn how to design your own corrective exercise program. So I hope you will join me in this new program. It's called the Music Strong Pilot Program, Job Security for Musicians.